Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, family, today we start our new sermon series in the book of Jonah, God's Unrelenting Grace. Book of Jonah, God's Unrelenting Grace. And today our sermon is called, Things Are Not Always What They Seem. And his dialogue with the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates, a philosopher named Pederis, supposedly said, things are not always what they seem. The first appearance deceives many. The intelligence of a few perceives what has been carefully hidden. What he's saying is often it's more than meets the eye, so you must look at things over and over to make sure you're getting a clear picture of what's taking place. And I think that's definitely true with the book of Jonah. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, you may see this, think this is a book about a man who got ate by a big fish. Uh, Let me tell you, it's not. That's actually one of the smallest details of this book. We only hear about the fish uh, three times. And you might be thinking, well, if it's not about a fish, then maybe it's about uh, a reluctant prophet who's trying to avoid his call to a wicked city. Again, I tell you, things are not what they seem. That's not the most important detail of this book, even though it is present. It is is essential to the book, but that's not the main focus of the book. And lastly, this book is not about Nineveh, an Assyrian city who is wicked in the eyes of God. It's not about them either. This book, at the, at the basis, of it, basis of it, is about our good, unrelenting God who pursues and turns everything upside down to bring the far off to himself. He gives the undeserving grace. And this book is funny because it's filled with a bunch of irony and humor. I don't know if you caught it as we were reading. It was like God told Jonah to do a thing. And he said, nope, going the other way. It's filled with irony, humor, and it's almost like it's flipping everything upside down like mirrors in a fun house. So the closer you get to the, to the, the mirror, the odder the picture starts to look. Let me list out a couple of the oddities for us. First, we start with Jonah, a prophet of the Lord. Now, when you hear me say prophet, you would probably assume, well, he's the good guy, right? He's the one who knows what's, what to do. But as you go through the book, rest of the book, you'll realize, no, he's not the good guy of the story. He's almost an anti-hero in the story. And the irony of this is that in this story, this prophet is one of the most successful prophets in the whole Old Testament. Yet he works as an antagonist. And then we hear about Nineveh, this terrible, evil city, which we would assume should be the antagonist of the story. Yet, they're not even the antagonist of the story. They're quick to repent and turn to God. And this doesn't make them the good guys in the story. No, this actually doesn't say that evil people can become good. No, this shows that God, who is good and merciful, he extends his grace even to the worst of us, 
even to the ones who are the worst of sinners, to the lowest of lows, he extends his grace. Again, the story is not as it seems. I think a purpose summary of this book would be God's grace and salvation is extended to the undeserved and we are all undeserving. God continues to extend it. Prayerfully, we, as we walk through this book, uh, we won't walk away waging, waging our finger at Jonah. We won't walk away looking down our nose at him. But it should actually drive us to ask the question, how have I disobeyed God? How have I acted entitled to God's grace in my life? Ultimately, the end, it should remind us that Jesus' sacrifice is not for the deserving, but honestly for the repentant. Now, here's, now as we go on through the intro, I want you to hear some of the backstory behind Jonah. Jonah is a very interesting book. Unlike other minor prophets, the book is less about what God says through Jonah, but about what he's willing to do to get to Jonah. It reads more like a, almost like a parable or, or stylistically like a parable about a, a historical narrative or a divine comedy in some ways. Now, we know that Jonah was an actual person, so it's not that he wasn't a person of history. Actually, we have a little bit of background on him. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, it, was a, it says, as a prophet from Gath-Hefer in the territory of Zebulun in north Israel, this was Jonah, he came, clo- he came forward to Jeroboam II, and he predicted blessings on Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam, in the 8th century, this is between 793 B.C. to 753 B.C., he was actually a really terrible king. He was one of the worst kings Israel had, especially northern Israel had. He was corrupt. He oppressed the people. He kept the nations divided. So it's almost like the author is saying, hey, remember that prophet who spoke good to the wicked guy? This is who we're talking about today. It's like he's almost trying to catch our attention and make us look at this prophet with a new eye and say, hey, that guy, I don't know if he's worth trusting, but let me tell you about the God that's worth trusting. And as you see, we go through the first chapter, you will see these moves in the text. There's three get ups. There's a call for God to telling him to get up. Then Jonah did get up and did the opposite. Then a sailor comes and says, Jonah, get up. And as these calls of get up is happening, we see Jonah descent from being in the presence of God, but trying to flee and going lower and lower to the bottom, almost to the bottom, well, to the bottom of the sea. But lastly, we see God who lifts up. We see God who raises up man for his glory. Looking at verse 1, we see the verse 1 and 2, the first get up that says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amidi. He said, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up to me. This imagery is God has come to Jonah. He said, there's this wicked, terrible nation. And let me tell you how bad Nineveh was. The same type of evil has come up to me. It's the same kind of evil that was spoken of in Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah. These was a disruptive people. This was a corrupt people. This was a wicked people. Historians actually says Nineveh, these Assyrian people, when they would conquer nations, they would rip their skulls off and wear them as jewelry. 
This was the worst of worst. Yet God is saying, go to them and preach to them. And this brings me to our first point. When God tells us to get up and do a thing, he doesn't always call us to, be, to, to obey for our convenience. He doesn't usually call us to what's convenient. But when he calls us, he's more concerned about his glory than our comfort. Jonah, at this moment, an Israelite who knew the wickedness of the Assyrians, who also realized that the Assyrians were people who would soon oppress the nation of Israel, he heard God saying, get up and go. And Jonah's response was, nah, because it was uncomfortable. It was terrifying. Family, I want to tell you something. Most times when God calls us, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a little disrupting. Not because he hates us, not because he wants to harm us, but because he wants to get our attention and he wants to reveal more of his glory in our lives. If you want to know where inconvenience comes, come and join a ministry. Come and do ministry. Trust me, inconveniences will show up over and over. And don't worry if you're like, well, I ain't going into ministry. Inconvenience will go up, will still show up if you're following the Lord. I, there are so many times I'm like, I'm supposed to be a place, but I just got a call because something's wrong and I got to stop what I'm doing to go and take care of this thing. That happened this week, actually. I was uh, so excited. Uh, Olivia's not here, but she preached this week at chapel at CIU, and I was so excited to go see her. And then I got a call that just took up my whole morning. And I was just frustrated, angry. And at that moment, I was like, God, I understand why Jonah was like, I don't want to do this. But I don't want to always go to the things that you're calling me to, because it goes against what I want to do. It goes against my comforts. Family, I want you to know if the Lord calls you to a thing, there's probably going to be some discomfort in it. Now, some of you may hear that and say, that's right. That's why I'm going to the ends of the earth to declare his name because I know the Lord's calling me to something discomfortable, discomfort. I want you to hear this. Maybe he's not calling you to go to the ends of the earth. He's calling you to just go to your neighbor. Just go to the people you work with. Maybe he's calling you to go to the least likely of places like Iowa. Iowa, it's been in the back of my head all week, like, why Iowa? Well, because Iowa has such a high population of Mormons, there's actually not many Christians there. And many people don't think about, I will move my life to this place. We love the ideal of extreme. We love the idea of putting our life on the line so we can have a great story to tell about ourselves. But what if God's saying, the way you glorify me is not to think about yourself, but to think about my life. Think about my name in your life. This is exactly what he did in Abra with Abraham. Abraham was with his family in Genesis. And he told Abraham, leave your family, leave your comforts, leave all these things and go into this wilderness place and that's where I'm going to bless you. That's where I'm going to make my name known in your life. That's when I'm going to reveal my ways to you. Family, if you look to Follow God to get up and obey him. No discomforts come. But we all have our own plans. As the proverb writer says, he says, all a person's ways seem right to him, but it's the Lord who weighs our hearts. Are your hearts being weighed before the Lord and you are obeying him and going wherever you call? He calls you to go, even if it's inconvenient for you.
we must all wrestle with this. And sadly, all of our answers usually, not always, but usually ends up being similar to the answer Jonah gave in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, it says, Jonah got up, not to go run to where God was calling, but he got up to run to Tarshish, to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, you remember like, okay, these are places, these are names, I don't get what you're saying. Okay, Assyria was close to Turkey. Tarshish was close to Spain. To put that in, in, in terms that helps you understand, that's 2,435 miles apart from each other. Assyria was northeast, and, and Tarish was southwest. He was going the complete opposite direction at all costs just because he wanted to make sure he got away and he didn't go into the inconvenience of following the Lord's name. He did the foolish thing. He thought he could get away from the presence of God. Family, how often has God called you to do a thing and you went and did the complete opposite? Oh, just me? Okay, if it's just me, I'm sorry. Let me tell you, I do it often. (laughs) Sadly, when we're more we're concerned about our convenience, we do as Jonah we foolishly did. We try to hide by busying ourselves or going another way. I'm going to give you some examples of how I do this. When I know there's an important task to do, I say, but wait, there's, there's this other thing that I can do that's not as important right now, but it'll distract me from knowing, from doing the thing I know I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm supposed to be writing a sermon. I'm scrolling on Facebook. That's me, y'all. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed, to be, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing something, but let's see what's on YouTube today. I don't like to stop when it inconveniences me. I think you do the same thing. Maybe I'm not being fair, but I think you do the same thing. When we do this, we're trying to escape the presence of what the Lord has put on us. He he has told us to do. But we quickly find out like the psalmist does and like Jonah will find out. He says, where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern hemisphere and, or settle at the western limits, even there your hands will lead. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say surely, darkness will hide me. And the light around me all by night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are a light to you. What the psalmist was getting at is there is nothing we can do to hide our ways from the Lord. There is nothing we can do to hide from the Lord. There's nothing we can do to distract ourselves from what the Lord is calling us to do. There is no place we can run to flee away from him. Family, are you listening to his voice? Are you fleeing to find your comforts? When we flee to find our comforts, we start the descent like Jonah started. As he was going, you you see it in verse 3, it says, he went down to Joppa. So you see this descent, he went down to Joppa, and then he paid the fare, and then he went down into, he went down to go with them to Tarsh from the Lord's presence. We see this descent start to happen. We go further and further away until we end up in the middle of a storm. 
verses 4 through 6, it's, but the Lord threw a great storm, threw a great wind, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship cargo to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Family, when we run from God's presence, when we run from what he is commanding us to do, when we run from the things that make us inconvenient, we find ourselves in the middle of storms, and often those storms are things that God himself has orchestrated in our lives to get our attention. Every discomfortable, and, 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 and every discomfortable thing we go through is either leading, trying to get us back to God or because we are going the direction God wants us to go in and is putting us on the right path for his glory. But when we run away from him, trying to flee from his presence, trying to busy ourselves with other things, the Lord lets loose storms in our life, not to destroy us, but to get our attention. Just as he was trying to get Jonah's attention when the captain approached him, he came down to the bottom of the, of the ship and he says, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Why are you sleeping in your sin? What are you doing? Get up. Call out to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. When we stray far away, the Lord will allow trials to come along to get our attention, not to harm us, Get our attention so that we may move to repentance. We may cry out, where is the captain of the ship of your soul now saying, get up, cry out to God. What are you doing? So sleep in your sins. What are you doing? How foolish are we to think that we can find better than what God has for us? How foolish of us to think that we know better than what God is doing. How foolish of us to go down into the slumber of a life of comfort, thinking that we are doing right. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe the captain of the, the, the ship is crying out, get up, arise, cry out, speak to Jonah. I mean, speak to God, Jonah. God does this, not again to destroy us, but because he knows the plans he has for us. He knows how he wants to reveal his glory in our life. He knows what he wants to do in us. He does this the same way he did to the Israelites in Jeremiah. Listen to what Jeremiah said to the Israelites in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disasters, but to give you a future and a hope. Now, what's ironic about this verse is when he said this, he says, this is in the midst of you going into exile because of how you rebelled towards me. He was like, this is a part of the plan for your future hope. This is a part of the plan for you to be in alignment with who I want you to be so that my glory can be revealed in you. I know the plans I have. I know what I'm doing. I know I'm making things discomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I know I'm, it feels like I'm shaking everything up around you, but it's not to destroy you. No, it's for your well-being. It's not for your disaster. It's for your future. 
This is what Paul says. He says that God chastised those he loves. When we suffer in this lifetime, it's not because God is trying to get rid of us, but it's because he is trying to reveal more of his glory in our lives. We see God calling out, get up, and the descent down. And as we move into the next part of our text, verses 7 through the end of the book, we see the effects of this descent. When we run away from God, when we think we know better than him, our sin, it doesn't just affect our lives, but it affects the lives of all those around us. Look at verses 7 through 11 with me. It was the sailors on the ship. They said, come on, the sailors said to each other, let us cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Now casting lots was almost like shooting dice. They were taking a chance, saying, whoever this lands on may be the person. And we see all throughout the, tel- out the book, we shouldn't uh, uh, gamble or, or do things by chance, but the Lord does sometimes providentially use chance to reveal his ways. So they threw dice, and it landed on Jonah, and they said to him, tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business? What are you, where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Even in the midst of Jonah running away, he knew the presence of God. He knew who the creator that created all things. How foolish was he to run away knowing all these things, yet here he is. But it's not just disrupting his life, but it's disrupting the lives of all those around him. Family, when we live disobedient lives following following after the Lord or denying following after the Lord, it doesn't just throw our lives off. It throws the lives of those around us off. This is why In the New Testament, Paul is always fighting for unity in the church because he knows when one person goes astray, how it can contaminate the rest of the church like a cancer. This is what sin does. Sin is not an individual sport, but it plays across the field. Sin doesn't just affect you. (coughs) Excuse me. Sin affects all those around us. And these men, they understood this man right here who said he's for God, but yet he's living contrary to the ways of God. These men were afraid. They were afraid because they were like, what have you done? Like, these are pagan men who were calling out to all other gods. And it was like, but your God, you just said your God created all this and you don't want to listen to him? (laughs) The men knew he was fleeing from the presence of God because he had told them. But they were like, but you know God more than we know God. So what should we do? What should be done? And that's a question we all should ask too. What should be done when sin has thrown our lives and the lives of others into turmoil? That leads us to our last points. Verses 12 through 17. The effects of sin must be met with a sacrifice. He answered them. Pick me up 
and throw me in the sea so that it will calm down for you. So I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is, for I know that I am to blame for this great storm against you. Jonah was like, the only way to kind of clear up everything for you is to get me off the ship. But what's interesting is there was still some selfishness about behind this. Jonah wasn't trying to pay the debt for the sins he caused. He was just trying to get further away from God. Throw me in the water. Maybe in the sea where I die, there God will leave me alone. And the man even knew this was foolish. They tried to roll harder like, we're not throwing this man off, off, the, off the ship. He just said he worshiped the God who's causing all this. We don't want bigger problems with him. So they tried to roll harder against the dry land. But they couldn't. Because the sea was raging against them more and more. So finally they called out to the Lord. It says, Lord, please don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. This cry out was saying, God, it wasn't us. Don't let us deal with the, the penalty of another person's sin. Deal with him. And they picked him up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men knew exactly what to do when they realized that this sin, had, the sacrifice had been made. The men seized with great fear. They worship. They also offered a sacrifice to the Lord. We look at the story and we say, well, look, they raised up Jonah. They lifted him up. But it wasn't their sins that <laughs> caused this man, this, this wrong to be done. It was Jonah's. Well, it's our sins that cause the storms in our lives. It's the sins of those we haven't and, and touched, this cancer that continues to spread across the world. So who is it that we can lift up and get out of this storm? Who is it that we can lift up? Unlike Jonah, who deserved exactly what he got, the only one that can truly be lifted up is the one that didn't deserve. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't cause any storms. He didn't, he didn't make any sins. He himself did not sin. Yet he was the one who was willing to sacrifice himself, not out of selfish gain, but to satisfy the God he obeyed and loved, the Father he loved and obeyed. Look at John chapter 12. Verse 32 through 33, John chapter 12, verse 32 through 33, this was Jesus telling about his crucifixion to come. He says, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Jesus was giving them this picture that unlike Jonah, who was trying to get away from the presence of God, Jesus was going to be lifted up so that the presence of God could come down to us. That we could receive the presence of God. This was the kind of death he was about to experience. He was about to experience the, the, the sacrifice of the perfect sacrifice. The one that's unblemished. The one who has caused no sins. The one who has done no wickedness. And his sacrifice was going to be different from Jonah's. For when 
Jonah went in the sea to die, to run away from the Lord. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He kept him alive in the belly of a fish. If Jonah, a wicked man who was trying to run away from the presence of God, will be kept by God, how much more will he keep his son who sacrificed his life for our behalf? He allowed his son to actually experience the taste of death, not because he had did anything wrong, but because of our sins. We, like those sailors, said, what, who has done something wrong so these troubles can come upon us? We have done it. We are the ones who have caused these troubles to come upon us. We have sinned. We have ran away from God. We did it. But Jesus said, this is the sign that those sins will be done away with. The sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the fish for three days and God brought him back out alive, I am actually going to die and go in the grave for three days. But I will not stay there. I will do even greater than Jonah. I will actually defeat death. I will resurrect God. The righteous one will bring life back into him and through him we all will find life. Jesus came so that the presence of God will be always dwelling with those who come to him, who believe in him, who believe in the sacrifice. It's ironic, again, and it's not what it seems. Jonah and his disobedience brought God's presence because God cared so much about his presence, he didn't care about the disobedience of a man. Yet, Jesus and his obedience brought the fullness thereof. So that it ain't just the few people that Jonah ran past. Jesus is like anybody who come. Anybody who's looking. Anybody who wants hope can come and find it in me. They can find the fullness of my presence. Family, this is really good news. As people who often disobey and run away, God says, my presence is still available for you. And now that presence is not only available for us, but it will never leave us nor forsake us, and not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for, on our behalf. In a few moments, we get to celebrate that we have his presence with us. And the way we get to celebrate this is that we get to commemorate it through the taking of communion. Remembering the body that was broken on our behalf when he was lifted on that cross, the blood that was shed on our behalf, and how he has conquered death in the, in the grave and came back to life. And when we eat of this, we are saying we are partaking on the sufferings because we will partake in the glory that has been revealed for our behalf. Family, maybe some of you here today are like Jonah, still trying to get away from his presence. And you're trying to make it right. You're trying to fix it. You think you can offer a sacrifice that is worthy for God to fix this problem that you have with him. Let me tell you, you don't have to. You don't have to offer a better sacrifice because he has offered, already offered the best sacrifice. He has already done the work on your behalf. Maybe you're, today, you're here today and you're like, I've already received that, but I just don't want to obey right now. I don't feel comfortable what he's calling me to do. Maybe this season of life is just him saying, obey me. Repent, come to me, and let me reveal more of my glory and presence in your life today. Just listen to me. Get up. Arise.
I want you to know things, again, are not what they seem. You are not the victor of your story. But we have a Savior who is willing to be the victor of your story and to reveal himself more and more in your life as you look upon him. In a few moments, we are going to prepare our hearts to partake of communion. But this is a meal that we take of as a family, as those who have already trusted, those who have gotten up and trusted in the one who got up on our behalf. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I've trusted in Jesus. I don't know if that sacrifice was made for me. This, this meal isn't for you yet. Not because we want to keep something away from you, but because we would love to talk to you more and wait till that day when you will make the confession that, yes, that sacrifice was also for me. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for us. And in a few moments, we're going to sing one more song, and then I will open the communion table. For those who are a part of the family who have accepted the one who got up on your behalf, please come, take of the elements, and then we will partake together as a family. But for those who have not accepted yet, we pray that you, we, we ask that you abstain right now because we don't want you to lie in the presence of God for his presence is at the table with us. Will you pray with me? Father, as the psalmist says, where can we flee from your presence? You are such a good and mighty king who reaches to the lowest to pick us up and you see us at the highest. And we magnify your name in both places. You are both the one who leads us and keeps us. As the psalmist says, you are the good shepherd who make us lay down in green pastures. Father, I pray today as we start the story of Jonah that we would see more and more of our own lives throughout this book. That we would be drawn closer and closer to you that you will reveal more and more about yourself to us and that we will see that you are such a good God to be in the presence of, even in the season when it might be uncomfortable to us. Lord, I pray for those who've heard your word today, that you've opened their eyes to see your truth, to look upon your son and see the sacrifice that was made on your behalf, on the behalf of the Father, so that the wrath would be appeased so that they can find the fullness of hope in you. So let us, we prepare to sing to you more. We pray that you will continue to be here with us and that we will eat with hearts of celebration the elements that you have left for us to partake in to remind us of who you are and the good that you have poured out on us. We lift all these things up to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and continue to sing with us? <laughs>